0: charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship.
1: This is a paid advertisement. Visit BiggerPockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's BiggerPockets.com slash Vacasa. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com host.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to On the Market. Today you have me, Dave Meyer, Kathy Fecky, and James Daynard. Kathy and James, how are you? Great. Good. The sun's back out in California. Yeah, you were you were over in my neck of the woods in northern Europe for a while and you saw how bad the weather is
2: here. <laughs> uh, that that weather's emotional out there. It was like it would rain for two hours and then it'd be sunny and then it'd be raining for two hours. It was it was almost like a tropical storm in Seattle collided together
0: yeah it's it's very unpredictable it's very gray but it once it turns like this time of year it it starts to get better i think you just got the tail end of it but uh unfortunately it's not like where you both live and sunny and glorious all the time
3: (laughs) it's been cold but we were supposed to be in amsterdam right now uh, we at least had talked about it. So what's the weather like? Would we would we have enjoyed it?
0: Yeah, it's super nice out right now. Actually, <laughs> as your daughter knows, I just had lunch with Kathy's daughter who is here visiting, which was super fun to see her. Um, but yeah, it would have worked out great. I think we're going to have to do that next year for a two-year on-the-market anniversary. We're going to have to do an Amsterdam trip. Yes. Maybe
2: we'll do a meetup. Oh, a European takeover? Everyone listening. Everyone come yes. to
0: Amsterdam. We'll have a big... We're going to do a European <laughs> party. And Amsterdam is a good place to party. That we'll have a good time. That sounds like a, it
2: could be a great
0: party. <laughs> Can we do it on yacht week though? Oh, really? we got to go to Croatia for for yacht week. That is that's where you want to be. So, let's do that next summer. <laughs> All right. Well, we are here to talk about real estate. And we have a really cool show for you today. We're going to do sort of a roundup on the housing market and some of the economic indicators that we are watching and that you can be watching to make sense of the very confusing market that we're in and honestly like a pretty changing rapidly changing market right now even faster than normal Uh, and just so you all know we're going to be talking about a report i wrote and if you want to follow along download it read it get my full thoughts about what happened in the housing market in the first quarter of 2023. You can download that for free. It's at biggerpockets.com slash Q2 report. It's Q2, like quarter two report. So go check that out and you can see everything that James, Kathy and I are going to be talking about today. We are going to take a quick break, but then we're going to dive into our Q1 roundup of the housing market.
1: I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A. Biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. I used to think working from home was the dream, until it wasn't. Between the distractions and the solitude, I was struggling. But then, I discovered Industrious Office, and honestly, it's been a game changer. Every day at Industrious feels like stepping into a zone of productivity. The high-speed internet never fails me during crucial moments, and the workspace? It's not only stylish, but designed to boost your focus and creativity. Plus, the daily breakfast and endless coffees are super cool. Meeting other driven professionals right where I work has not just expanded my network, it's inspired me. It's amazing how being around other focused people can push you to achieve more, you know what I mean? If you're looking for a sign to change your workspace, this is it. Check out Industrious by visiting biggerpockets.com industrious. Then click join now and use the promo code POCKETS to get a free week of co-working when you take a tour. That's biggerpockets.com industrious and use promo code POCKETS after clicking join now. Experience for yourself how the right environment can change the way you work. Industrious. It's where your best work happens. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.
0: All right, let's get into this thing. There's so many things to talk about, and I know we talk about some of these things a lot, but if you, Kathy, had to pick one indicator that you think sort of summarizes or epitomizes the q one housing market. What would it be?
3: Oh, one indicator uh, if if we're talking about housing in general, I'll pick multifamily housing and say that the indicator that's that I've seen because I just got back from a couple of conferences it's uh, interest rates again. <laughs> I mean what a boring thing to say, but interest rates are are really causing complete devastation in in multifamily not not in all but in many and we did see a 229 million uh, million dollar foreclosure in Houston.
2: whoa whoa
3: yeah um, as perhaps one of the first ones to go down, uh, you know if you were looking at two percent interest rates and now most of those multifamily are adjustable if they didn't have rate caps, most did but some didn't you know they are dealing with payments. That are unsustainable. They they just can't pay them. Uh, so there, I I was just at a multifamily conference literally a few days ago, and there was a lot of pain. A, a lot of people trying to figure out how they're going to avoid foreclosure. Wow.
0: All right. Well, that is foreboding. Very interesting to hear because when I see interest rates now, they're down from where they were in November and in February, and from everything I've heard in the residential side of things, it seems like now that rates are down in the mid sixes, some buyer activity is is sort of coming back.
3: There was a huge difference because I was actually at two events in Dallas. One was a multifamily conference and the other was my event, which was single family and also a focus on our single family fund. And they were about 20 minutes apart. So I was running back and forth between the two events. And the, the, sentiment was couldn't be more opposite hmm. because people in the single family sector are not feeling the pain because either their the the portfolio that they already own is locked in generally in 30-year fixed rate or or even if it's five or ten year they were not feeling any pain in their buy and hold properties and in fact they were there it was it was 150 people there and a, a Packed bus of people ready to buy more and very excited to buy more because of the fixed rate debt. It Mm -hmm. has come down. Mortgage rates for single family is, is tied, it's different than on the short term. So over at the other conference with multifamily, they are tied to the sofa and they are definitely more tied to what the fed is doing whereas the single family mortgage rates are are tied to more what the bond market is doing so to see the dramatic difference of how the multifamily investors their world has changed so dramatically if they're not on fixed rates and and for many of them where their rate caps are due and the bill is is really just nothing they could ever have imagined it, it could be the difference of 20,000 to 200,000 a month um or even more and then some of the people who bought coastal uh, also saw massive increases in insurance so it was really devastating to see how they're feeding these properties they've stopped um you know doing distributions and putting all that money into just trying to keep the the property afloat but with the first kind of major foreclosure i don't know if it's the first but the one that really hit headline news because it was a a syndication. It was people. A, a lot of investors are, lost everything in that, including the bank. The bank lost about mm-hmm. twenty million as well. So it was like two different, completely different worlds that I experienced in the single family, not not feeling the pain, and in the multifamily feeling a, a world of, a world of hurt.
2: Doesn't this kind of remind you a little bit of the two thousand and eight liar loans? Like, and that's why we're not seeing the issues. Like, they did such a good job. Verifying people's income the last five, 10 years, right? To buy your single family house that you had to be under a certain DTI. They really verified the income. So, like, you could weather a storm, right? If you had consistent income, whereas the multifamily space kind of became the liar loans the last three years. A lot of these banks were, they were signing off on really juiced up performance. And they were giving them credit for that. They were looking at their construction. You know, people were kind of forcing the deal to get paid. And so they were kind of maybe under budgeting these properties and and getting too aggressive in there. And I feel like that's why this is coming to fruition in a bad way. Because it was people were buying on greed for the multifamily. They weren't buying to invest. They were buying to get a deal done. And and that's never a good thing, right? Like if I'm spending the best deal you can ever do is the deal you pass on sometimes. It, but when you're ready to go and people – like there was so much greed in the market, we're starting to see the pain come around now. And I, th- I think it's just – it was also just a bunch of over-performas that were just not – they were not accurate. Uh Even with the rates changing and everything, they were going in already very, very slim, and there was zero room for error. And this cost of money and these insurance and the rents declining a little bit, it can be very detrimental.
0: Yeah, it seems like generally speaking, like if you had to – summarize q1 in terms of interest rates i would say like the residential market adapted quicker than i thought i'll just say that you know and i do still think prices nationally are probably still going to come down a little bit this year but you know the bottom is not falling out and we're starting to see things actually start to pick up seasonally but to me everyone i talk to in commercial is just like waiting for the shoe to drop like we're not we haven't even seen really the the beginning of the of the pain that it seems like everyone is expecting. Well, I guess, Kathleen, as you're saying, we've seen the beginning of it, but the, it seems like there's a long way to go.
3: Yeah, and uh, you know, I <laughs> I did actually talk to a few lenders, and uh, I I I don't know how bad it will be because it may be that the lenders decide to do something creative and extend the loans, or I I don't know what they're capable of being able to do in a situation where the cash flow of the property is not enough to cover the debt service, right? Mm -hmm. I I don't know what you do um, besides foreclose. So uh, I I think there are more. And it, it was hard to watch. I could not agree more with James that it feels like the same thing only this time with multifamily and not single family. I still am a strong believer that single families on or you know, one to four units conventional is on solid ground because of the loans. It, it, it's the it's the adjustable loans that took down the housing market in 2008. Because when those loans adjusted, people couldn't pay very different situation. It was a credit bubble. But this well, I guess I guess similar. It's a it was a credit bubble. The bridge lenders were we're giving money for the renovation too. So you could, yeah, so you could get, I, I think, up to at least 80% LTV, maybe more plus renovation costs. So, you know, that my mentor was really firm with me. He's an older guy and he's like, do not go over 65%. Well, I couldn't get a deal. At 65 percent that, you know, but he said there's reasons why you want to stay at 65 percent LTV with multifamily because it can be volatile.
0: Yeah. So I guess we're going to we're going to have to see how that goes. But uh, thank you for the insights. That's super helpful. Let's move on to a a second indicator, which is sort of the reason we're in this situation, which is inflation. And as everyone knows by this point, uh, inflation is why interest rates have been hiked. That's what the Fed is trying to get under control. And as of this recording, which is in the middle of April, we have data now for the first quarter of of the year. And what we're seeing is that inflation, at least the headline CPI has come down to 5%. It was peaked back in June at 9.1%, which is good. That is good and encouraging. The Flip side of that, though, is the quote unquote core CPI, which is what the Fed honestly really cares about because it's a better prediction of future inflation is at 5.5 or 5.6 percent, actually, um, and is not coming down nearly as much. It was uh, at 0.4 percent last month. So even if you annualize that out, that's still almost nearly 5 percent. So I'm curious, how are you guys seeing inflation right now? Like in one respect, the numbers are coming down, but. I'm not quite sure this is enough for the Fed to take their foot off the gas.
2: I'm happy to see that the trends and the reporting are kind of shifting the right way. Uh, As a consumer that buys a lot of products for real estate, construction, and just in general, I'm not boats. uh, boats. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't even want to talk about the boat bills right now. (laughs) I don't don't think that's an inflation issue. That's just a boat owner issue. But it's uh, I mean, I'm still paying a lot right now. Everything is expensive. I mean, hotels flying, buying materials. Uh, The only thing I am seeing a little break on is the labor market a little bit. But it's uh, Okay. But materials in general are now we can get them a lot quicker now. And we're not in this like we we can't get a product and and we're having to pay like outrageous product just to get it. But everything is substantially more money. I mean, all my building material costs are 20, 30 percent more. And And there's not a lot of ease going on and we're trying to negotiate and we still can't get it down.
0: And is it higher than it was, but stable or is it still going
2: up? I would say it's, it's stable. We're definitely seeing, we see it where it goes like little dips and valleys, right? Like where you're, it's, it's almost like the housing market right now. Like it's kind of like, kind of, it's kind of teetering, but it's staying kind of flat. It kind of dips and then goes up to it come with the interest rates. Same thing's happening with material costs. And, you know, we are doing certain things. Like, we're just ordering in advance, buying out stuff early. Like, we just bought 10 sets of appliances all at one time just to lock a price in. And so you just have to get a little bit more creative. But I'm not seeing it on the on the pricing. And honestly, I think part of it, too, is the vendors, they can sell it cheaper. But the demand is still there. And so the pricing is just fixed right now. I, I I do think there's some things that are never going to come back down.
0: Oh, for sure. It's
2: just people have realized that they can get that much money. And it is, you know, like, especially your mechanicals in construction, Uh, those costs are stuck i don't think they're they're moving
0: yeah it's it's pretty rare for prices to go back down once they go back up i mean yeah like food energy those things tend to fluctuate but in terms of like durable goods that's why the fed is more concerned about these sticky corporate uh uh, prices like this kind of stuff you're mentioning james because it doesn't really go back down um and they really have to to get it under control kathy do you think like given what you know about Fed policy and and inflation, do you think we're in store for more interest rate hikes?
3: You know, the Fed has made it really clear that they were, what their target was, and it was to get over 5% uh, in the overnight lending rate. And we're getting close, but not totally there where they said that we'd be. So I've expected that they were going to continue to raise rates until they get there. So I do think we'll see another uh, small rate hike. Uh, But Based on some of the research and some of the interviews that we've had and, and people I've talked to, uh, one is MBS Highway, and he is very, very uh, bullish on the idea that in May, we're really going to see things change uh, with inflation and that because of the year-over-year data, like you, like you said in your report, mm-hmm. inflation really peaked last summer. Now, when we get to this summer and we're comparing today's numbers to last year, which were very high, everything's going to look a little bit better on a year-over-year basis. So it's his very, very strong opinion that we're going to see much, much better inflation numbers and that as a result, mortgage rates for conventional, not a Again, this is, couldn't be more opposite than, than multifamily or commercial loans, but in the residential that we will see rates come down in mortgage-backed securities for one to four unit. And when that happens, there could be another frenzy in real estate because we do, again, according to your report, inventory levels in housing just keep coming down. And because it's so stuck, like you said, and as soon as rates come down, there could be multiple offers again. There could be a, fre- a buying frenzy, which is why we're buying like crazy. Uh, but the opposite is true for the adjustable rates. If you're tied to the Fed fund rate or the SOFR, you're going to see rates continue to rise.
0: Yeah. And just for so people know, like what, what Kathy's talking about is if you're getting a... Alone on a multifamily or office or retail or commercial, the the bank's underwriting and, and the where they borrow from and basically how they consider rates is very different uh, than it is in residential. And so it is very possible and seemingly very probable that rates for commercial and rates in residential might head in different directions over the course of this year. And they have been. Yeah, and they have been exactly. Yeah. Kathy, you hit on something that I want to move on to another indicator, which is basically demand. It it seems like every time there is a slight decrease in interest rates, mortgage rates, demand just like keeps coming back to the market. It just seems like people are just like waiting on the sidelines. And even when they go down, not even that much, it seems like demand comes back into the market. And I've heard this anecdotally speaking to agents and lenders, but the more the, uh, Uh, Mortgage Bankers Association does a survey every single week of how many people are applying for mortgages. And you can see every time there's a dip in residential mortgage rates, there is a spike in the number of applications. And I'm honestly kind of surprised. I personally thought more people would be sitting on the sidelines and waiting it out. But, James, I'm curious to see what, you know, in, in your business, are you seeing this, especially in a market like Seattle that got, you know, has seen probably one of the biggest corrections in the whole country?
2: Yeah, I'm definitely surprised with the amount of buyers I'm seeing coming through housing right now. Because, you know, we saw like on these West Coast or expensive market cities, we basically saw like a 15 to 20 percent compression off peak pretty quickly. And then now what we've seen, I I think it part of it has to do with rates because the rates have been swinging just a little bit. But it's not that impactful for what we've seen over the last nine months. I think this is all psychological. It's. People are really, cause I'm seeing the inventory, like. Uh- In in Washington, there was a couple stats that came out this month that were very interesting to me. One is days on market went down by 35% last month. So homes are now selling for 35% faster. They went from like 28 back down to 16, which is a big, big drop in a month. Inventory is back down to two to three weeks or two to four weeks worth of inventory, whereas it was creeping up more in certain neighborhoods. And so what, what's happening is there is a lot of FOMO in the market where people are watching things sell, and it, it, it there was like this stall out, and they saw this sudden drop, and now they're seeing things just trade. And they're also seeing things trade close to list price, and people will wait that 90, 120 days. And, and so it's a psychological thing to where, I mean, buyers are just getting back in the mix no matter what, but we are seeing – I mean, on some homes I was getting two showings a month on that was would have been like 90 days ago. We're getting like 20 to 30 showings a week. Oh, my God. Whoa. It is crazy. The weirdest thing is people aren't moving still. It's like – it's just like – it's kind of like they're still in this confused land. They <laughs> just want to go see some stuff? <laughs> yeah. It's like they either want to be opportunistic and lowball it like crazy. Or I don't even call it lowball. They're offering what they think it's worth. Um, and – the other thing is, is that they're looking for any reason not to buy the house, but they're still out looking. And so, what that tells me is there's buyers in the market no matter what. And if you're putting the right product out, things will sell. But we did sell three homes over list price last weekend. Wow! It depends <laughs> really on your price points, and and so like as you're you're an investor, a flipper, developer, focus on those markets or the that not the markets. Focus on the 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 sale price that moves. Like we know that we know where our two sweet spots are in Seattle. And if you're if you're listing below a million bucks, and you're a certain type of product, it is selling and it will sell very quickly. And so, a lot more buyers, a lot more movement going on in the last 30, 60 days. It's actually looking. I, I feel a lot better about the market after the last sixty days.
3: That's why you need such a good real estate agent if you're if you're using one, because you better be able to know how to list it properly.
2: Yes, yeah, and, and, and it, that's key right now. It's like putting that magical list price on it. There's you, there's kind of two approaches. You either go high because you know the buyers are coming in two to, depending on where your demographics and who your buyers are, they're going to come in two to 5% off list just naturally, or you price it a little low. And it, it, if you price it low right now and you have a good product, the frenzy, the frenzy starts. I mean, like, I think we had six offers on one house and it was 800,000. Wow. Whoa. In. Snohomish County, where the median home price is $670,000. So we were $130,000 above the median home price, and we still had that much action, which is really, really promising.
0: Wow, that's
2: unbelievable.
0: Well, let's talk about the flip side of demand now. Uh, We've covered inflation, we've covered interest rates, we've covered demand. I think, you know, as we've talked about before, but I want to revisit here. To me, the reason that the market is still... Showing some signs of life is just that there is such low inventory. It's just remarkable to see that, you know, while people were saying it was going to spike and home prices were going to crash because inventory was going to surge, it's just absolutely not happening right now. Um, And it, even though, and that combined with strong demand seems to be creating a housing market that is pretty robust right now. Kathy, I know you you're in a single family fund and buying single families. Are you finding it hard to find properties right now?
3: Not at all. Not at all. We're, oh, we okay. we we're trying to grow our we we we're trying to grow our fund as quickly as we can because there's more opportunity than we can keep up with. But what we're buying is not what a first-time home buyer would buy hmm. because it's got issues, right? You know, we're we're buying stuff that does need to be fixed up and that a bank wouldn't lend on as is. And that's why we're getting massively steep discounts on them. Because what we're noticing is that our competitor isn't there today, where our competitor is not the first time home buyer because we're buying, you know, homes that need fixing. Um, and usually a first time home buyer doesn't have the time, knowledge, or money to do that. But what we don't have right now is a lot of competition from other investors. And I think that's because our fund, you know, we're raising money, we're raising cash and, and we're buying these properties with cash. So we don't need a loan. Um, so a, a flipper might say, wow, I don't know if I can make these numbers work with, with today's financing or maybe with hard money loans or maybe they can't even get those loans. Whatever it is, we are really not seeing competition wholesalers that just maybe wouldn't have come to us before are are coming to us now you know because mm. they're just maybe aren't the buyers or whatever it is i feel like we're the only ones out there playing the game in the area that we're in where there in addition to all these opportunities there's nothing but growth happening so it's just mind boggling to me I'm, i was again just there there's freeway expansions and and new Yes, cranes everywhere and new development and chip manufacturing coming in. And yet we're still buying stuff for under a hundred thousand. My last purchase was sixty-five thousand. We have to put twenty in it. It's worth two hundred. Like I-, I can't make this up. And I every time I say this, I'm like, ah, oh, why'd I say that? Because now everybody heard it and now I'm gonna have competition. <laughs> <laughs> well, they
0: probably don't have cash. Maybe. <laughs> But just for context, um, so people know, you know, back, you know, in the fallout of the Great uh, Recession and the 2012-2015 timeline, inventory used to be right around 2 million housing units. Um, Prior to the pandemic, it was about 1.5 million. Now we're at a million. So we're still down 33% prior to to, to pre-pandemic levels. And yes, they have come up a bit from where they were last year, but we're still talking about insanely low levels. And I do want to be clear that housing prices can fall with low inventory. We're seeing that in a lot of markets, but it does, at least in my mind, provide a backstop for prices. Like they can't, if there is demand and there is always some buyers and inventory is so low, it just can't fall that much. Like inventory, if there were to be a crash has to go up so i I don't know i i I just think that this is sort of fascinating and, and we'll get into one other topic about why this is going on but james first just wanted to get your opinion on inventory and uh
2: what you're seeing um, I'm not in the same market as Kathy because it is hard to find a deal right now. <laughs> you can't find anything. No, you're not
3: finding a sixty-five thousand dollars house in Seattle. <laughs> we're, no,
2: I'm finding a sixty-five thousand dollars permit fee, <laughs> but <it's>, <laughs> 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 then architect and plant fees. But I would say, you know, there's deals. It, <laughs> what, what, what it's kind of came back to for us is, it, and it's you know, we're just rebuilding our systems for it is. The, like kathy said if it's a hard project and it needs a lot of work that that stuff's not moving that that quickly because cost of money's up people are still they don't have good control in their construction and then also just the jurisdiction issues where things you know these cities can take a really long time on things which means your're debt so all the cost of money t- timelines and construction costs has kind of got people out so we are getting really good buys on the major fixers like I just paid. for a house and the house next door sold for 1.4. Wow. And they're model match houses and I will be nicer. And there was zero competition on that house because it just needed so much work. And so if it's a clean product, there is no inventory. Like there's, there's nothing to buy, but if, if it needs work, we're able to get some deal flow in and we're doing less deals, but better margin deals, much, much better margins. That's
0: so interesting because I was I was on a, I was a guest on a podcast the other day and the host asked me what strategies I thought were good. And I i am not a flipper, but I was saying that I think it's a it seems like a good time to flip because not all homes and prices decline and Accelerate at the same rate, like we on the show talk about home prices on a national level, which is far too broad. But even talking about it on a regional level is probably too broad because, like you said, fix and flips tend to in, in downturns fall further than stabilized asset, which right just gives you more margin, right? Just right off the bat, even though expenses are high.
2: Yeah, and it's like it's like the rules that got broken the last two to three years with the you know the market was so hot. It was also people were breaking the rules. Like if you're buying certain types of product, I would say that the margin shrunk 10 to 15% on all those products. And if you're putting in that much, it's like people are buying big fixers to make the same amount of margins they would on a cosmetic fixer, and that's not how it's supposed to work, right? The stuff that you have to rip down, reconstruct, deal with numerous—you know—that you're in that deal for a year, you're supposed to be making more money because a) your capital's outlaid for double the time, and then b) it's just substantially more brain damage. And so, you know, it's it's it it's kind of gotten back to like the stuff that's hard work you get rewarded more. And if it's not that hard work, you're not going to get rewarded that well because even the last 12 to 24 months or 24 to 36 months, the stuff that wasn't hard was making a ton of money because the appreciation factor. And so I think those days are over, but you can get back to if you want to put in the work, you want to put in the energy, you can get that good buy. And they are out there. It's, I mean, we have bought in better deals the last six months, but we just bought fewer of them.
0: Well, I do want to get to one of my favorite indicators of q on. I think this to me is like the maybe the number one thing, which is new listings. Basically, this is the number of people who put their house up for sale. It's different from inventory, just so everyone knows, because inventory is how many things are for sale at a given time. So it factors in both how many st- properties go up for sale and how quickly they come off the market. But new inv- new listings just basically measures how many people decide they're going to sell a home. And it is just absolutely in the gutter right now. It is down about 25% year over year and falling. It's going down more and more and more. People just absolutely do not want to sell right now. And I'm curious what you guys make of this. Do you, you know, we've talked about this. There's the lock in effect. There's a couple of the reasons that we'll get to, but do you think this is sustainable? Like, do you think this is kind of the new normal where people just aren't going to be selling their homes?
3: I don't know if it's the new normal, uh, but if you're locked into a two or a three or four percent interest rate, it sure is tempting to just stay put, you know, versus looking at a very limited amount of inventory out there and having to pay more for it. it a lot of people just did not realize that today's homeowners are probably in the best position ever. Their payments are, their payments compared to their income is, is the best it's ever been, <laughs> at least in, in the data that I look at, uh, because they're l- locked in at a fixed rate, but they've, you know, we've seen wage growth and then of course, uh, appreciation. So for them, you know, for people to walk away, there'd have to be a really good reason, even if they're moving, even if they're going somewhere else for a new job, they might be thinking maybe i should just keep the house and learn how to be a, a landlord you know and just rent it out i've heard that from a a lot of people saying i i just don't think i want to let go of this interest rate and like you said in your report uh, a lot of people don't realize that that buyers are sellers like it's usually mm-hmm. somebody who sells a house who buys another house and if someone's not selling they're they're not buying so it's just like this Stuck inventory. And I don't <laughs> really see it until changing until rates get to a point where people are like, okay, maybe at five and a half, five. There's some psychological thing about 6%. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. But when it gets into the fives, it's like, okay, that's acceptable. I could do that. So could you go from a two, three, or four to a five? Sure. Were well, you going to go to a six? Maybe not. So, and and again, MBS Highway says that's what he's predicting is going to happen this summer is we're going to get down into the fives, which is why he thinks that we will start to see things unlock a little bit this summer.
0: That, yeah, that will be very interesting to to see. I uh, We just, if you listen to our last episode, we had Tim Berkmeyer, who's the president of Rocket Mortgage, come on. And he was... Confirming a lot of things Kathy just said. Number one, he told us if you didn't hear this, that the average American has one hundred and seventy thousand dollars of equity in their home right now, which is a record, which is unbelievable. And he also said that they're seeing a big uptick in HELOCs and cash out refis right now, even at higher rates. And he said that the you know when they talk to these people who are who are doing this they're just they're taking out money to improve their own homes and do renovations because rather than doing a, a move up like they would normally do um, in normal times they'd sell their home and maybe trade up to a larger home they're just renovating their homes and staying in place and this this is sort of a trend in how people are dealing with higher interest rates where they can't really afford to trade up like they normally would
2: yeah I wonder if uh that the cash out refis though because you know I don't see a whole lot of inventory switching up. Or much movement into – because there isn't any pain in the market yet. Like, it's weird. We're, like, in this weird recession kind of, like, on the – in and out. But there's still – like, you talk to the day-to-day American that is the home buyer buying a lot of the product. They still – there isn't that pain. The labor market's good. The job market's good. And so until something happens like that, it's probably going to stay where it's at. I mean, one indicator, I would think if if they're saying there's a huge uptick in cash out refis is because there's so much liquidity in the market for two years and people got really drunk on the liquidity like they they were drinking. It, it was just like part of their day to day life. You, you look at how people spend money today. It is substantially different than it was 36 months ago. And I I feel like. You know, a smart guy told me one time, once you turn that faucet on, he told me to stay frugal because once you turn the faucet on, it's really hard to turn it off. And I feel like America turned the faucet on on full blast <laughs> the whole country. And, and they don't know what to, they don't know how to turn it down, but that's why we're seeing these cash out refis, and that's the, i mean that would be the dangerous part, right like they're pulling out more liquidity yes. yeah and it's like this band aid that is just gonna float for another twelve to twenty four months, but that's mm-hmm. gonna end poorly typically um and so that i would that's actually a stat i wanna track now, like how many cash out refis were going on? And is that it constantly increasing? He did
0: say that some of it was um, for debt consolidation, like to pay off credit card debt because you can get a, a, ca- a refi at a lower rate than a credit card debt. But that's not a great position to be
2: in, you know. it just goes back to over leveraged. Yeah. Like America is over leveraged. Credit card debt is at its all time high. Like people... People, they've shredded budgets. Budgets of Dave Ramsey would be very sad. <laughs> People are, they're loose with their funds right now.
3: Well, I wonder, I'm I'm kind of wondering, we got a credit line or an equity line on our house and it was like 9% or something like that. So it was one of those things we got just in case we need it, but we're not using it. But I think it shows up as if we did. So you know, I'm I'm curious if some people are just getting these equity lines and not using them, but just kind of keeping them.
0: Mm, that's true. That's a valid point. Yeah, yeah
3: I, I'm not sure how much on the credit report it shows whether it's been used or not. But when I was in mortgages, it 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 would show up as you've used it because you've got that credit available. Um, but I I had this really interesting conversation with one of our investment counselors at Real Wealth, who honestly, these people have they know more than me at this point. Um, But Leah, uh, one of our investment counselors said she just refied some of her investment properties that she had at very low interest rates. And she refied at a higher rate to take the cash out. And and because she had so much equity in this fourplex that she had bought a few years ago in in Florida. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You went from a a three to a six, you know, and and took the cash out, why would you do that? And and she enlightened me on her thinking there is that if you have several hundred thousand of equity sitting there making zero and you average it out, even if you're getting, you know, you're borrowing at 4% on, on half of the property, but you're getting zero on the other half, in her mind, she's like, it's, I'm better off just paying a little bit more, getting that money out and reinvesting because she's at a phase in her life where she's an acquisition. She's in her early 30s and she's not looking for the cash flow. And I told her, good, because we want to keep you as an employee. So, <laughs> <laughs> don't don't get cash flow today. Um, she's really looking at acquiring and and markets that are growing because that's her plan. And that that was really enlightening to me. I would never have done that, just cash out in a higher rate. Mm-hmm. But when when she added up all the numbers and and put it in her spreadsheet for what her 10-year goal is, it made sense.
0: That's super interesting. Yeah. I mean, as opportunities increase, um, you might see that a little bit more. Um, just because if there are deals like the both of you are talking about, you probably want to get a little liquidity, even if you're sacrificing cash flow. Yeah. All right. The last indicator I want to talk about was rent. Rent is still up year over year 7%. But the pace of change is coming down pretty consistently. In a lot of markets, we're starting to see that rent is flat or even starting to decline, particularly in multifamily. Curious what you both are seeing, James, are you seeing uh, any, any changes to rent in your market or your business?
2: Uh, No, you know, the rents have stayed pretty, we saw it in like the luxury condo market where, you know, if stuff was like 5,000, it came down into the low 4,000s, which definitely could be detrimental. Luckily, we don't buy a lot of that product. Uh, Our, our rent growth is actually still stable. We're staying 97% full in our whole portfolio, and we're still getting our steady increases. And I think that just comes back down to the cost of rent is substantially cheaper than the cost to own right now in Washington. Mm-hmm. And, and until I see that metrics close, I think we're, we're now I don't think we're going to see the rapid growth we've seen in the last 24 months, but it, we haven't seen much adjustment at all. It's, it's very stable. There's still way more demand than there is product. And, uh, and as long as you're in that right wheelhouse, things are leasing up pretty quickly. Nice. What about you, Kathy?
3: We were way too conservative in the underwriting for our fund because the rents are coming in much, much higher and they continue to climb. And that's kind of been the case that we've seen in all the markets that we focus on at Real Wealth. I think the reason for that is we're already looking for that's just part of our metric. We're looking for areas that have job and and uh, population growth, but that are still really affordable for the average person in that area. So because it's still affordable, but there's growth, you're going to you know we're just seeing we're seeing prices increase and and rents in those markets, which has surprised me.
0: It is surprising me. I, I, I still think it's going to slow down, but um, mm-hmm. in certain markets, obviously, you know, like Dallas has such strong population growth and I'm not surprised to hear that. But um, on a national basis, it's still higher than I at least expected it to be. Yeah. All right. So that is where things stand in terms of some of the major indicators that we are watching. You know, of course, interest rates are pretty volatile, inflation is falling, but is still higher than I think anyone wants it to be. Um, prices are down a little bit. Inventory is not budging. Demand is still pretty good. So we're in a really interesting um, uh, time for the housing market. I'm fascinated to see Q2. I think this is going to be really interesting <laughs> to see. You know, we had a little bit of correction. Now we're showing signs of life. I think it'll be really fascinating to see what happens. James, I'm curious if you had some advice for people how to navigate let's say the next three months, you know usually we talk about twenty twenty three but given the way things are, like I kind of think you have to look even almost at a shorter time period for for some decisions. So how would you recommend people navigate the next couple of months
2: i mean the the biggest thing for any I know for me is always just staying on top of what my buy box is, like you know it changes from quarter to quarter based on what I'm seeing in the market, right like the market as the market changes, you have to change up what you're going to buy and, and why. And so, you know, like for us, it's about like we just redid our buy box again. Like, what what fix and flip properties are we going to buy? What kind of development product are we going to die? What is what is our expected returns? And as long as we know if it, 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 if everything hits that return, we are pulling the trigger on it. So it just stay on top of it. But, you know, I, I would just say, don't be greedy. Run your numbers very conservatively. And if it hits all the numbers, then buy on that. You know, like I think where people are getting in trouble, like we were talking about earlier with the multifamily, is people are being too aggressive on their performance. So just go, don't just go with the median. Like for us, when we're pulling comparables or even rent comps, sale comps, whatever it is, we're using the median, not the high. And so as long as you're staying in the middle, we've seen a lot of stability the last like three to four months. You're not going to get hurt that bad. I mean, there's going to be a little bit of upside, a little bit of downside, and then try to time what you think is going to happen in the market. Like we do think, I don't think rates will be in the fives in the summer, but I do think they could be in the high fives by the end of the year. And if I'm doing, that's why I'm going after big project projects because they're huge margins. And then the timing works by the time I go to sell that my rate will be cheaper to the, my, my next consumer. And so, you know, it's funny, we were getting out of the big projects and now we're going right back in because it works best with the buy box. And in addition to it, it goes to my core beliefs of, I think rates will fall. And if you're timing that right, it's going to, it's going to click out a lot better.
0: That's great advice. James, I'm just curious do you, is your buy box, is that something you re, you said quarterly, or do you do it even more frequently than that?
2: Uh, I mean, it depends on the trends. And, like, I would say right now we can kind of go more quarterly because the market's very stable for, you know, I would say from May till October, we were checking it every 30 days Mm -hmm. because there was so much more volatility in the market. You know, the money went up, what, 40%, 50% during that time. It was when there's that much volatility in the market, you want to do it constantly. But right now we're doing it about quarterly. And then me and my business partner get together. We figure out what, we also are evaluating what's working best for us. And Alex, like actually randomly right now, building homes is more consistent than flipping for us because it, it's, it has all, it has everything to do with the labor market, has nothing to do with the product, what we're buying, the margins, it's the professionals that we're working with and the timelines they can get things done in. And in addition to as inflation, like we've been talking about, has been starting to go down, they've been more consistent with the pricing coming down with that trend, whereas your remodel contractors are a little bit fly by night, so they're not. And so just based on that one principle alone in efficiencies and cost, we're buying a lot more dirt than we are flip, fix and flip. And so it's your buy box, there's so many little indicators they can, go, they can form that. You know, and I would say if you want to buy anything right now, buy what you're good at, and then you will be safe. All right, great advice. Kathy, what's your advice?
3: Very similar, not surprisingly, but I'm going to compare it to yoga and the tree pose. And if anybody knows what I'm talking about is where you stand on one foot and you've got the other foot, yep, uh, up, (laughs) and then you've got your hands up to make it a tree, and it's a really easy way to fall down and uh, wobble (laughs) a lot, Right. And the, the whole tree to do, the, the key to doing tree pose correctly is to look for, far away in the distance and focus and not look around you or anyone around you who's wobbling because you'll probably fall.
2: I
0: was wondering where that was going, but that was, you brought that one around. That was good. <laughs>
3: Bring it, back. like You've got to be super clear what your long-term plan is mm-hmm. and focus on that. And don't let all the wobbliness around you affect that plan. Know what you want. And again, in the case of Leah, our investment counselor, she knows what she's she wants. She's building a portfolio. She's young. She doesn't need the cash flow right now. She knows what she's looking for and she runs it through the spreadsheet and it's it works even at a higher interest rate. She's leaving a low interest rate for a higher one because she can deploy more as, more uh, cash that way. Uh, so have your focus, be clear about it, and and don't look at anything else. You know, <laughs> just focus. Uh, keep your eye on the horizon, as they say. At Marcus and Milchap. Um that's that's the big one. And it all really depends on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to buy your first home, maybe it's a, a home you live in you know, does it matter what's happening again? Does it matter what's happening? If you need a place to live and you can still rent out rooms and, 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 and house hack, you know, you're going to have to pay somebody something. So knowing that there's a possibility that mortgages could go down. If you're just trying to buy your first home, please get active in the next couple of months. Cause it could get harder very soon. Um, whether it's your primary or, um, uh, you know, or an investment property. And I know, I know a lot of people and I can already see the comments. Oh, well, you're in real estate. So of course you're going to say, Oh, now's always the time to buy. But like, really, it really is. And we could talk next summer, even if I'm wrong. And let's say rates go up. Well, then you got today's rates. That's (laughs) true. Yeah,
0: that's a very good point. All right. I love that. Uh, Be, do your tree pose and look, look (laughs) beyond all the instability right now. And try and focus on your long term goals. I think that's That's always a good, good advice for real estate investors. All right. Thank you guys for, first of all, reading my report. If anyone (laughs) wants to check this out and wants to understand some of the sort of the more nuanced data and information that is dictating the performance of the housing market right now, highly recommend you check it out. It's completely for free on BiggerPockets. Just go to biggerpockets.com slash Q2 report. Before we get out of here though, I have one question from our audience that is very relevant for our conversation today. This question came from the Bigger Pockets forums, and if anyone listening wants to ask us questions, that is a great place to do it. This question comes from Matthias Yonin, who said, What websites or sources do you guys use to inform yourselves about the market and any shifts and trends that occur? James, what about you? What are you, what uh what sources do you use most?
2: Um, So I use a lot of local sources because you know I think that kind of depends on uh, what kind of investor you are. I'm a backyard investor, so you know everything that I'm doing is very localized uh, because we're tracking really counties and cities. I mean, we I reference the national, but I mean we. I, and because I'm a broker, I use a lot of Northwest MLS. Uh, you know we use MLS data. They, it, I I I, liked, I don't really want to get people's opinion on data. I just want the core stats so I can then interpret them myself. Um, so most of the time is done through uh, the MLS or NAR um, just kind of stats and trends rather than someone telling me what they think. Um, maybe I'm just thick at it and I, I want to make my own opinion. That totally makes sense. What about you, Kathy?
3: I'm the opposite. <laughs> I like to listen to what other people think and how they interpret the data. And so far, my two favorites are Housing Wire and Marcus and Millichap. They both offer a lot of data and they, t- they take that data and sort of interpret it. And uh, sometimes I agree, sometimes I don't, but I I love that. And then the third way is just boots on the street. Like I have said before, we've got property management companies that we work closely with in 15 to 20 different markets. And we have regular weekly conversations with them to see what's going on. So we, we kind of know real time uh, what's happening out there. And, and that's important to us because the local market is not the national market, right? So we, we get kind of that local information combined with the uh, the more broad.
0: Great. Both excellent advice. Local information, uh, and getting those expert opinions about, um, um, from people who really understand the data are great. If you are the kind of person who likes to check out data, um, some sources that I recommend are uh, the Fred website is great, but it's not really up to the minute, you know, you usually get things, uh, some, some things a month or two late, but it really does have good information on a localized level. If you want to understand sort of macroeconomics, if you want us to understand housing dynamics, I think Redfin offers really good data as well. They have like a data center where you could download all sorts of information about a lot of the indicators that we were talking about today, like inventory, new listings, uh, that sort of thing. And then the last thing I'll say is um we had Mike Simonson from Altos Research on uh, I think two uh, episode 98 a couple of weeks ago um and he um now works with Housing Wire and his company is all about tracking Data like in real time for the housing market, and if you go on Housing Wire, they have like active inventory, home sales data like for the current week, which is just about as fast as data as you can get for the housing market. So those are just a couple of the sources that I personally use, um, and you can always follow me on Instagram at the Data Deli. I put out lots of content about where to find. I was data. just gonna
3: say that I was like, wait a minute, and you. I mean, your <laughs> most recent report was so in depth, and it had the mixture of the data with the interpretation of it. And uh, wow, definitely make sure people know where to get that and your all of your reports because they're like little books. I don't know how you're writing so many of them, but it's really packed full of information.
0: Oh, well, thank you. All right. Well, thank you both. I appreciate you being here. This was a lot of fun. Uh, Kathy, if people want to connect with you, where should they do that?
3: Realwealth.com or uh, Kathy Fetke at Instagram. And if you're interested in learning more about the fund, it's growdevelopments.com.
0: Sweet. I love your new Studio, by the way, it looks good.
3: Do you like it? Rich yeah. chose the color pink, it's perfect, <laughs> representing the ladies over here.
0: <laughs> yeah, it looks very nice, very professional. <laughs> I thought that
2: was representing his underwear color.
0: <laughs> <laughs> James, what about you? Where can people find you? Just come to the boat, or
2: yeah, just uh, come to the boat whenever it's open. Uh, you can hang out, uh, but it's <laughs> good uh, to know. The best way is just Instagram jdaneflips or uh, jamesdaner.com.
0: All right. Great. Well, thank you both. And uh, if you want to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram where I'm at the data deli. Again, if you have questions for us, like the one that we answered today, bigger pockets has forums. We have an on the market forum, uh, just tag any one of us and we will review any of them and might select some of yours for our parting thoughts here on the show. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next time for on the market. On the market is created by me, Dave Meyer and Kalen Bennett. Produced by Kaelin Bennett, editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media, research by Pooja Jindal, and a big thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show on the market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. Investing in small multifamily properties is probably the most popular niche in the entire bigger pockets community. And there's a good reason for that. You can put as little as three and a half percent down and own up to four units. So just think about that for a second. You can house hack where you live in one of the units. But in addition to having a place to live, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month. You have four kitchens and bathrooms that you could add value to to build equity. You could also turn one or more of the properties into a short term rental or a medium term rental. And all this, what I'm describing here is just one transaction. But of course the question is, where do you find one of these small multifamily properties that you can afford? Which markets and which deals are best for you? How about after you close? How do you manage it, optimize it? Keep scaling and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets, or four fussy tenants? These are all great questions. And luckily for you, they're going to be answered in the upcoming small multifamily bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient, great strategy, head to biggerpockets.com four today and join us in the small multifamily bootcamp. I'll see you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only.